listening to Dairy Voice, a podcast exclusively for the dairy industry. We're speaking today with Pete Kappelman, a fourth-generation dairy farmer from Manitowoc, Wisconsin. He farms with his wife, Shelley, and three grown children and a son-in-law at Meadowbrook Dairy, where they have 465 cows and 1,100 acres. Throughout his career, Pete has been an active dairy leader in dairy organizations and ag entities. He was recognized as Dairyman of the Year at World Dairy Expo last year, 2018. He's been a leader in the dairy cooperative movement. He joined, he was elected to the Land of Lakes Cooperative Board in 1996, and he was selected as board chair in 2004, a position that he held through 2018. In that role, he served on the National Milk Board and served on committees on dairy policy and international trade. As most know, Land O'Lakes is one of the largest dairy cooperatives in the U.S. with some 10,000 employees and $15 billion in net sales from dairy foods, crop inputs, and animal feed with over 1,850 dairy producer members. Interestingly, Pete is now a member of top management as senior vice president of member and government relations. So he's gone from board to executive starting back in March. We're really delighted to welcome to Dairy Voice, Pete Kappelman. Well, thanks, Joel. I'm glad I could be on today. Tell me about how your personal transition has gone, moving from a a farmer board member and chair to now a senior corporate executive. Well, uh, that is an interesting transition. I I tell some people this is really my first job out of college, and I guess technically it's my first W-2 that I'll be receiving. But I did farm professionally for 33 years after I graduated from University of Wisconsin at Madison. And, you know, we encouraged our kids to go off and get an education and find a passion and look for a career outside of farming, recognizing that they could at some point, if they didn't like their career or found it more interesting, that they could have the opportunity to come back and farm. So all three kids, Beth, Mitch, and Aaron, and our son-in-law, AJ, have all done that. They all came back to the farm. So at that point, I had the opportunity to look for other things that I would find really interesting and engaging in life. And I now have the opportunity to advocate full-time for farmers and for members of our cooperative. And I, I'm finding it's really interesting that having the experience and voice of a lifetime dairy producer member on the executive team here at Land Lakes is a real positive for, I think, for the organization and for our members. I realize it does take me longer to get ready for work and get to work than it used to in the past. That was probably about five minutes in my previous life, and it's a little bit longer than that now. And I think um, I'm probably now, I try and go home every weekend and, and do something. I was out in the mud trying to harvest corn last weekend, and I think right now I went from probably being a highly paid consultant on the farm to being free labor for the kids. <laughs> you probably needed to find a job. Well, that's the thing. You know, once the quarterback hands off the ball, uh, you're just kind of standing in the backfield looking stupid unless you find something else to do. There you go. Well, your CEO at uh, Land O'Lakes, Beth Ford, has been very prominent in the national news these days, most recently perhaps talking about uh, agricultural technology on the 60 Minutes TV show. Was she hired while you were the board chair? And if so, how is it now that you're reporting to her? Uh, what, what's her leadership style for, for, you, for you and your executive team and, and, and the board now? 
it was an interesting transition uh, for me going from being the boss of my farm to now having a boss. I was one of 28 voting board members who unanimously selected Beth as our CEO. So it, it really was a, an obvious decision for our board to select her. And I think that's that difference of going from being the boss of my business to running the board to, to now having a boss. I think that could have been difficult if I didn't know exactly what I was signing up for. But we really have the same vision for our organization. And we share the same passion of, of what we can and should be doing for our members. But you asked, you know, you asked about her leadership style, and it really is one of being a relentless advocate for our farmers and, and for rural America, frankly. No stones are to be unturned. We rethink everything we do and why we do things. Status quo is not an option unless we've proved it to be the best option. So she really is uh, an aggressive, progressive uh, leader, and it's it's exciting. It's busy work. It's <laughs> I'm working longer days now than I did on the farm, actually, but it's gratifying work. Well, that's good to hear. Let's talk a little bit about the, the U.S. dairy industry. Let's talk about milk supply. For a while, Land Lakes has had a form of a base plan, and then we've seen just recently Agrimark uh, in the Northeast has announced a supply control program for its members. We've heard that DFA is studying something along those lines for its membership. Do you think this is the, the future, that control of supply and therefore helping milk prices will come through cooperative action, maybe rather than than through a government quota program. Where, where do you think we're headed here? What do you see? Land Lakes, um, we actually had a version of our, our of our base plan years ago in one of our milk sheds in North Dakota. Moved to it about probably five years ago in California when we had an oversupply of milk. Then enacted it in the east, finally in the Midwest about three years ago. And really it's what it is, is it's a managed growth system for our members where it's a, a, dis, it's a bit disciplined and transparent process that really we can proactively engage with our members and we can keep our plants wet and minimize disruption. So I think it's really that proactive partnership that is the exciting part. So it's efficient use of our plants and allows for efficient use of milk. We always pick up all, all the members' milk. If they're over their base, we'll pick it up. doesn't matter. If the milk shed is over capacity and we have to move milk, that's where the members who are over base get charged for the cost of moving that milk to the best resource at that point. But your question to your question of what replace government quota? I don't think so. It should minimize uh, nationwide the amount of milk that gets dumped or used inefficiently. But unless you have a marketplace back mentality, it's really not going to inherently raise prices. I think, you know, we live in this free market economy. The, this country was based on capitalism. And to think that farmers are, you know, these independent business owners are not going to feel this need to feed the world. Um, if they see opportunity, they're going to go meet it. Here's a word from our sponsor, INTL FC Stone. How could the dairy markets be impacted by the global economy next year? Come to Vision 2020, Global Markets Outlook next February in Orlando and find out. INTL FC Stone's premier event will combine industry-leading economic and commodity outlooks all in one conference. Registration opening soon. For details, visit ifcs.co slash vision 2020. Again, that's ifcs.co slash vision 2020. And we're back. 
it's a uh, topic that certainly is getting discussion and will continue to get discussion. We've had a bit of price relief here in recent months, and we can all hope that that continues. But given our U.S. milk supply and its growth, uh, we also know that exports are crucial with some 15% of production going offshore these days. There's some criticism that this export of product at world prices just drives down the domestic rice, but most acknowledge that a 15% oversupply in the U.S. market would be disastrous. Land Lakes has been active internationally exporting product, uh, but also working on international dairy development. What's your view, Pete, and, and how does your cooperative uh, look at the proper role for international, for, for U.S. dairy? Well, you know, one in seven, like you like you said, one in seven days production gets exported. You know, depending on your view, you can argue that was the the country has competitively survived in a global marketplace. You know, in long term, and here's the here, I think here's the lynch a pin of the whole of the whole discussion. The long term price of a commodity is going to be slightly above the cost of the lowest cost producer. So the first point is, are you producing a commodity, or can are you producing something that's beyond a commodity? Are you producing something that consumers are willing to pay more for, or identify with the farmer on? Because I think that's where the key to success is going to lie. If you do what Canada did and put up a wall around the country, you're not going to allow any imports. Uh, you also won't be exporting. So you're going to have to manage, you know, your supply and demand within the country like we did. You know, there was not a lot of imports and exports a generation ago. But the thing is, you know, in this country, to change that policy, you're going to have to convince Congress and the president that, you know, we're going to have to enact this. You're going to have to renegotiate all of our trade packs and you're going to have to get agreement by the farmers. I, I just think that's a tall order to try and get through. And you have to then, to your point, decide what 15% of the milk production is going to go away and who's who's going to lose that. So so it, assuming that would be very a very tough sell or a very uphill job, what can we do? So first of all, the, passing the 28, 2018 Farm Bill was critical for family farm producers and for rural America. We need to advocate for producers for their ability to compete and to get them in an area where they can use technology and efficiency to help them produce as effectively as possible and then get them a marketplace back price. So get them an added value for the product. Land Lakes, of course, is uh, has an iconic brand for butter, as well as a variety of other dairy products. DFA, the largest co-op, also has a number of products and, and manufacturing activities with branded products, as do other co-ops around the country. Is Are these branded products being produced by cooperatives? Is that the key to being more than simply a commodity production situation? Well, I think it's part of it. I think every organization, every co-op, whether they're large or small, uh, we better find out what we do well or what we can do well, and we better get better at it. And we better do that, figure out these areas that we can win and get on it. Either we can get closer to the consumer and help them identify with the farmer who produced their food and make that connection and then expect to get paid for it. They say they're willing to pay for it. We've got to find that out. I think there's opportunities really to partner. In fact, Lionel Lakes has done that with, with Mars, partnering with some very large global customers on getting them some of the um, answers that they want to have for their consumers. So in other words, if, if we can help show how our carbon footprint is lowering. That's worth something. That's worth a value. So I think there's opportunity, but doing things the same and expecting different results won't get us there. 
Ain't it the truth? One of the issues that has received a lot of headlines these days is the is the issue of plant-based beverages. Where where are you coming from with Land O'Lakes in dealing with uh, in a marketplace that is showing a lot of enthusiasm for, or at least a lot of publicity for plant-based beverages? Some say, we've heard some folks say that in dairy, we should stick to our knitting and improve our fluid products, uh, improve the shelf life, improve the flavor. We've even got the example of a co-op that's uh, come out with a product that includes both real dairy and plant-based fluid. What's what's Land O'Lakes looking at in terms of new products and assessing the marketplace based on these changes? Well, first of all, we should defend our territory. And if the FDA has rules on the books on standards of identity and labeling, we need to make sure they're enforced. So we're 100% you know, behind that. But that's in a way that's looking backwards, right? Let's look forward because frankly, a gallon of milk, you pay, consumers pay about about the same price for a gallon of milk in a grocery store is what they'll pay for a single serve beverage of their choice in a convenience store. And that's, in a way, it's almost ridiculous that that's happening today. I I think the milk, that milk-based beverages are being reinvented. And that means, you know, we we need milk to be a major portion of those. And I think we've got the opportunity to win there. But I think we are a little late to the game on pitching milk as a beverage. But we've got a ton of opportunity there with with our flavor and, and taste profile and health, a healthy good for you opportunity to, to market there, as well as, frankly, we've got a sustainability story that, that we can pitch. Consumers don't understand yet. I think it's our job to help them understand that. Indeed. Some say that of even more concern or of real concern are the lab-created proteins for for dairy and and meat. We've even seen a prediction recently from a so-called think tank that the whole cattle industry, dairy and beef, will be over by 2030. What's the Land O'Lakes position and vision for dealing with these new proteins that are going to be created in the lab or even the factory if they're scaled up? You know, and I, I saw that, read that report as well. And in theory, could it happen? Absolutely. Not only in theory, but in practice, because they're making this stuff now. So there is a debate going on about the um, what's right or what good or what best on these, where should consumers get their protein? And that's where we're now uh, beliefs about how to eat are becoming very strong. So the, you know, and in my opinion, the vegetarian, vegan it's a lifestyle, it's a personal choice for people. Frankly, at least more milkshakes and bacon for me, but uh, so it's not for me. But, you know, Atlanta Lakes, our mission is that we're a market-based cooperative. We're focused on enhancing our, our members' dairy, livestock, and, and crop production enterprise. So we're going to find a way to make sure that our producers are best served. I think, you know, one of the misconceptions out there is that lab proteins are better for the planet. And I think recent studies now are showing that lab-based meat actually produces more greenhouse gases than uh, farm-raised meat. You know, we again, helping people understand the true sustainability of agriculture is important. And we look forward to having you tell that story well, Pete. Thank you. Well, and actually, you know, and we've got a division within Line of Lakes called Sustain. And so one of the things when you when you uh, change out administrations in Washington, there's always the appointees that get replaced and there's there's always a home farm. And we have Jason um, Weller working for us who formerly who had uh, headed up the NRCS under the under the Obama administration. And he helped us develop a tool that actually shows how different practices, farming practices, lower the carbon footprint of how we produce food. And it equates it into things like cars on the highway or or, or things like that. It, it's actually, it, it's it's really catching on with especially 
especially our, our global customers that are looking for proof of sustainability. And it's, it's actually fascinating. It's fun to play with. Where could folks find more information about this? Is there a website or can they go to your, the Land O'Lakes website? You can go to the Land O'Lakes website and, and, and look for sustain, the simple word sustain. Okay. And that, that uh, tool that we're using is called Truterra, T-R-U-T-E-R-R-A. And still, it's just a, a whole big series of algorithms that help calculate that. Jason, in his time with NRCS, he, he always had things that he wished he could have done to help uh, promote this type of farming. And uh, now he's got the chance. And now we're getting some additional funding. So it's really starting to take off. And, and I think it's going to be an industry standard. Sounds very helpful for sure. Pete, one more topic I'd like to touch on before we wind up. Recently, I heard a dairy leader say that the diversity of farm size in U.S. dairy is a real strength of the industry. And he was uh, critical of himself and perhaps other leaders in the industry for not offering an exciting enough and a realistic enough vision for the future for farms of all sizes. Obviously, Land O'Lakes has a lot of members in the East and the Midwest with what I would call smaller or at least conventionally sized family farms. What's the vision that Land O'Lakes has for the future of of farms of all sizes? Well, we're owned by our members, so we have a responsibility to everyone. Our average size farm is 320 cows, but our, our median farm has 85 cows. So we really do have a lot of uh, single or dual family operations in our portfolio, in our ownership. And I, I think one thing that we're trying to do with our, we call it our products and services within our member relations group, is help farmers of all sizes realize that they they can protect their legacy by building their future, but they need to build a a resiliency within their operation. In other words, they need to be creative. We can help them think about being more creative, about using technology, about embracing change. Gale is one business practice that is proven to show that it helps your business perform better. So growing to some extent helps. It's not the only thing. It's absolutely not the only thing. We have, there's, I think, uh, incredible technologies coming along in plant breeding, in alfalfa, in corn silage. There are technologies in robotics that will help farms. It's amazing with robotics how farms with up to three to 400 cows even can stay under or live without a lot of hired labor, which is going to be a real challenge moving forward. So I think, you know, what we're helping producers to think about, and it's hard. I mean, when prices prices are low and they've been low for five years now, and, and frankly, the 2018 Farm Bill is going to help. It's, it's going to be, I think, a tremendous help to the farm that's producing, you know, 5 million pounds a year or less, because as bad as 2018 still wasn't a great year, but what really has created the problems was we didn't have a good solution in 2015 or 16 or 17 or 18. So I think the farm bill is really going to help there. We want to help our members think that the best way they can predict their future is to help them create it. And we just want people to be thinking about looking forward rather than backward. Pete, I think that's a great note to end on. And we really appreciate you taking time to speak with us today. We've been talking with Pete Kappelman, a fourth generation dairyman from Wisconsin, who is a uh, former board member and former board chairman at Land Lakes, but now he's senior vice president for member and government relations. Pete, thank you for taking time to visit with us today. Joel, it was great talking again.